925. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we are in a time right now where we are kind of looking at Acts chapter 16 through 20 as a whole. Thanks, bud. We come to this moment of divergence in Paul's journey. We're going to look at it specifically this morning and its effects on the mission of Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and ask for your help in the things that we are doing this morning, which is opening up your word seeing what it says that we might grow in glory and affection and praise to you and also obedience. You know ways in our lives we come this week and we need conviction. We have not been living in accordance with your word. We've been weak. We've, we've been given to other passions. And you know the ways that we need encouragement. We just need to keep pressing on in endurance and faithfulness. And we bump into discouragement about that, obstacles, temptations. Help us today hear your word in heart and mind that we might give you glory with our lives. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what's the plan for your life? What's the plan for your life? Why do you live in Austin? Texas, why do you live in the cities around Austin, Texas? Why do you have the job that you have? Why do you have the job that you have? Why are you single? Could be many reasons for that. Why do you have a family? Students, you're going to school, you're studying, you're reading, you're doing math, you're doing science. Why? What's the big plan with your life? Make some money, have some children, buy a house. We are a people in the West who seem to have an innate sense that our lives are of great value and great worth. We hear this from every realm in our society. You are of great value and worth just because you are who you are. But what's the plan? What's the purpose of your life? Our lives are so short we do really well to meditate on the shortness of our lives. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16 says it like this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town and we're going to spend a year there, we're going to trade, we're going to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I don't care what the world says to you. You listen to God's word this morning and consider it. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You can imagine this when you are young. But the older you get, the more you realize it's just a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Friends, church, what's the plan for your short life? What's the plan for the short time this church will exist before the Lord returns? Maybe that's something you've never thought about. You've never even thought about it. It doesn't bother you at all. Maybe it's something that keeps you up at night. Sometimes it even paralyzes you when it comes to making choices and decisions, even leaving you in guilt. Let us consider this one fundamental truth in the world. God 
has a plan. And his plan will come to pass. God has a plan. That includes you and your life. And it will come to pass. Psalms 33, 10-11 says it like this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations, Hamas, Israel, Iran, America, the counsel of the nations, the Lord brings them to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart for all generations. How does God accomplish His plan? Through what we call providence. Providence. Providence is God seeing to His plan in the world. Providence is God seeing to it. We used to think about things so much more deeply than we do today. You won't find statements about the providence of God in most modern written statements of faith. But you will find it in statements like the 1646 Westminster Confession of Faith and the Baptist version, the 1689 Baptist Statement of Faith. Listen to the 1680. I think we will read this sentence and half of us won't even understand part of it. But these are deep, long thoughts. And we need to hear them and we do well to dwell on them. The 1689 Baptist Statement of Faith has Article 5, Paragraph 1. There's multiple paragraphs on providence. Paragraph 1 says of divine providence, I'm going to read it slowly so you can track, God, the creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created according to his infallible, never wrong, foreknowledge and the free and immutable and changeable counsel of his will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Well, I could just read it over and over. We live in a grossly exaggerated mirage of control and planning. We plan so often to come home, and I say we, I'm including myself in this sin. We plan to come home and have an easy, relaxing evening, and the children are sinners. You come home to loud, rebellious children, a tired wife, in my case. Frustration begins to come out because that's not the plan. It wasn't my plan for today. It wasn't my plan for the evening. My plan was very different. It's all about me. We plan to climb the ladder at work. We plan to get a raise. We plan to have children. We might plan not to have children, and then that works out differently. We didn't plan to get laid off. We didn't plan to get cancer. We didn't plan to lose loved ones. We didn't plan COVID. We didn't plan the current economic crisis. We didn't plan the war in the Middle East. We don't plan for our car to break down. What are we to do in a short life and a God-providence-driven world? Friends, we need to learn to live in God's providence. That's really the title of today's message, Learning to Live in God's Providence. Learning to Live in God's Providence. There's going to be two things that we'll learn and then one way to live. Two things to learn 
one way to live. But first, I want us to look at God's providence through Macedonia. We're just going to start first and look at God's providence through Macedonia. You see there in Acts chapter 16, what we read today, we see that Paul and Silas, they were on their way. They were going to leave Antioch where they'd been commissioned to go out and spread the gospel. And they were going to go into Asia, which is kind of west-southwest of Antioch. But we see in verse 16.6, look there in verse 16.6, why didn't they? The Holy Spirit forbid them. So instead, they went up to Phrygia and Galatia, which is north, kind of northeast, different, a whole different direction. And then from there, they thought, well, let's go up into Bithynia, which is kind of a little bit further north, northwest. But they couldn't go there because the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there. So they were kind of funneled, can't go left, can't go right, can't go backwards. That's Antioch. The only way forward is kind of this little port named Troas. Um, and Troas, you just get there and you're just looking, facing the Aegean Sea. Can't go right, can't go left, can't go backwards, ocean in front of us. Sound familiar? While there, Troas has a dream with a man from Macedonia calling them over to come and help them, which Paul immediately concludes is a call for them to come and preach about Jesus in the region of Macedonia. Don't go to Asia. Don't go to Galatian Phrygia. Don't go to Bithynia. Go to Macedonia. So all of Acts chapter 16 through 20, that whole section from the moment Paul leaves Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 and 16 and then gets back to Jerusalem at the end of Acts chapter 20, all of that is determined by providence after providence after providence beginning with the leading of the Spirit and the dream here in Acts chapter 16. The main point here is that Paul's life and ministry, the movement of the gospel from city to city, is driven by the Lord. That fundamentally, God himself has not said, this is the mission, go and figure it out but that the Lord Himself is providentially ensuring and working in His people to see the, gospel, the plan of the gospel of Christ go to nation to nation to see it accomplished. Luke doesn't spend time, he doesn't really bother with teaching us how Paul knew the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus would not let them go a certain direction. He doesn't explain much of the dream or its interpretation or how to interpret dreams. It's stated very simply. They could not go this way because of these things, point being chiefly that God intended for him to go this way. As you continue to walk through the narrative, really of all of Acts, but especially chapter 16 through 20, you'll see sometimes Paul moves from city to city because of the evil that is against him. Sometimes Luke simply says, and next they went to such and such a city. They just went down the road. It was the next city. Sometimes there are dreams that direct them. Sometimes he moves with the support of his peers. Sometimes he goes against the counsel of those who are around him, their wishes. Sometimes he's there for a few short days. Sometimes he's there for a year or two years. Sometimes he's even hindered by Satan. He tells the church in Thessalonica in his letter to them, I was hindered by Satan from coming to you. The underlying view is that all of it is being orchestrated by God, by God's providence. The leading of the Spirit to Troas and from Troas to Macedonia is showing us that all that happens from Acts 16 through 20 was God's plan and His will all along. We might experience the direction of the Lord in various ways as well, sometimes acutely, sometimes sharply, sometimes in a specific moment. We might feel prompted by the Spirit to speak or to help someone. But all in all, what happens in Macedonia is that there is a directional change through Troas that leads Paul on a providential missionary journey to cities that he would never have gone to had it not been for the Lord guiding and orchestrating and working. Let's work through, let's just overview Acts 16 through 20. 
Paul gets the vision, the call to Macedonia, and then where does he go in chapter 16, verse 11 through 15? You can open your Bibles. You can just look through there as I summarize these sections shortly. They go straight to Philippi. Philippi, they just happen to find a group of women who are sitting around outside the gate. Best we can tell, these women, including Lydia, are the first who are baptized in the name of Jesus in the region of Macedonia. These women are now citizens of the kingdom, Christians in Macedonia. So we would guess Paul's going to start a church here. Paul's just going to start preaching. No, what's the next thing that happens? Chapter 16, verse 16 through 40, Paul goes straight to prison. All of this providence, all of this leading by the Spirit, all of this vision and call, and Paul gets across the Aegean Sea, right into Macedonia, and he goes straight to prison. An angel comes to rescue them, save them from the prison, shake the ground, un unlock the prison. They walk out freely, and oh, by the way, their jailer was about to take his own life. His prisoners had broke free. He knew that he was going to be a dead man. He's about to take his own life. Paul and Silas stop him. We're still here. They tell the jailer about, about Christ. He becomes a Christian. The Macedonian jailer becomes a Christian. He was baptized as well. Now he bears the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, they get kicked out of Philippi. And then chapter 17, 1 through 9, they just go on to the next Macedonian city, Thessalonica. We're not really told how they get there. There's no dream about going to Thessalonica. There's no forbidden to stay in Philippi. They just go to Thessalonica. And some of the Jews and some of the Greeks there and some of the leading women, it tells us, in Thessalonica, they became Christians. Well, the Jewish leaders didn't like that too much. They took personal offense. They thought that Paul was preaching blasphemy. So they took money from some of the Christians, one of them in particular named Jason, and they ran them out of Thessalonica. You can't do that here. So Paul goes on down to the next town, chapter 17, verse 10 through 5. Paul escapes by going to the next Macedonian city of Berea. Then he got there, he started preaching the gospel. Well, what happened in Berea? Well, the guys from Thessalonica were so ticked, they followed Paul to Berea and said, don't do that here either. You just keep moving on. They hunted him down. So Paul goes on out of Thessalonica, out of Berea, they make some plans for where they are going, who's going to stay where. And then in chapter 17, verse 16, Paul finds himself in Athens and he's just waiting. He's waiting to, to meet some apostles, waiting for some, or some disciples, for some others to catch up. Athens wasn't even a city they were called to. It's not where they're planning on going. Paul's waiting there. But Paul just starts talking to people about Jesus in the marketplace. He just starts talking to whoever's there every day. Whoever's there, he just starts talking to them. Well, one of them happened to be a philosopher at the local university, so to speak. Philosopher who was at the Areopagus. And he called Paul to come and preach. So Paul wasn't even in Athens on a mission. He's just waiting in between. He shares the gospel. He gets invited to the you know, Harvard uh, TED Talk, if you will, where he goes to give a speech about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From there, in chapter 18, Paul goes on to Corinth. He leaves Athens peacefully, it seems. And what is the great, miraculous, providential way that it is described that Paul gets to Corinth? Here's Luke's grand description. Acts 18, 1. After this, after Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. That's it. I mean, that's the description. No dream, no, no vision, just they went to Corinth. They went on to the next town, and Paul stays there a year and six months until some Jews bring him into a Roman tribunal on trumped-up charges. And then, in chapter 19 and 20, Paul makes his way to the very place he was first forbidden to go, Asia. Chapter 19 and 20 are all in Asia, in two cities in particular, in Ephesus, which is a Big mission point for Paul. And Miletus, where he would meet the elders from the church in Ephesus. All of that moving around. An entire detour where Paul was going to originally go, but then eventually came back to by the Lord's providence. Time and time again. Circumstances, happenstances. Just happened to be there over and over and over. 
Well, I just want you to consider one of the providential benefits for us today from this little detour in Paul's intentions and missionary journey. The providence of God in these chapters led to the very Bible that you are holding in your hands today. About 25% of the New Testament is all written by the Apostle Paul. And we have six books of the New Testament that are written back to churches on this detour. If it were not for this providence of God, we would not be holding in our hands the books written back to the church in Philippi, the book we know as Philippians. First and second Thessalonians are written to this church that Paul began in Thessalonica. First and second Corinthians written back to this church in Corinth. And then Ephesians at the end of this trip, the place he was previously forbidden to go. The Bible we hold in our hands is fruit of God taking Paul to those cities to bring us the word of God eventually. Now, what are we learning here? What are we learning here by God being the one who is orchestrating and working in the circumstances of Paul's moving around? We are seeing so many providences of God and that God has a plan and he's accomplishing his plan. He is accomplishing his plan by his providence. So a couple of things for us to learn and then a way to live in God's providence. Number one, learn, 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 learn. Etch it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. God is providentially seeing to emphasis his plan. His plan. What is God doing in Acts 16 through 20? He is seeing to his plan. Our lives do not begin or end with ourselves as the great purpose of our lives. God is accomplishing his plan in the nations, in the world, in individuals, in kingdoms, in presidents, and wars, and peace. I mean, we just recall from the Old Testament, Joseph is second in command to Pharaoh. Why? Esther becomes the queen of Persia. Why? Daniel is second in Babylon. Why? The Lord, in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord stirred the spirit of King Cyrus so the Jews would return home. On every page of the entire Bible is the providence of God moving history in the direction of His plan from creation to redemption to total glorification in heaven forever. This significantly affects the way we should understand our lives. God is the center of existence. He is providentially guiding the universe according to His plan. Not just presidents, not just planets, but every messenger of the gospel in Acts 16 through 20. It's God's plan that is driving His providence in the world. We are part of God's world and God's plans. And church, here is the source of much of the frustration in our lives every single day. We make plans and we come to trick ourselves into believing our plans are sovereign. from not getting into the university that we wanted, to our spouse's attitude when we come home after work, it's not what we expected. We had different plans. We had different plans. But God's plans and purposes are center. God knows. He is moving in the church to accomplish His plan. We look in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was in Corinth in verse 9 and 10. He was about to be attacked in court, although not harmed physically. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision there in Corinth in his, his way around this detour back to Asia, the Lord said to Paul, don't be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. How does the Lord know that? He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. No one's going to attack you in order to harm you or kill you. Here's what God says. 
I, the Lord, I have many people in this city who are my people. Paul, you're here in Corinth for my people that I know are here. That's who you're here for. I, I got you here because I have people here, Paul. That's why you're here. Don't forget that. Don't be discouraged about any other purposes. Way back when Paul was stuck, kept out of Asia, kept out of Bithynia, there in the port of Troas, God knew that he had people waiting to hear the gospel in Corinth. He knew it. And it got Paul there. This is so fundamental to our joy and our choices and the way we live our lives. It is central to understand God is accomplishing His plan by His providence. It's world-shifting. Yesterday, while the ladies were on retreat here at the church, and I just had our kids, I took our kids to San Antonio. Uh, we had heard, um, and it came found to be true, that one of the best places to look at the um, eclipse was from San Antonio. And so we said, well, let's just make a day of it. We'll drive down there, and we'll get some Mexican food and you know, walk around. And uh, we always go to the Alamo. We did it again yesterday. We were standing there. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not making this up. We're standing there with our glasses. We were in the midst of the eclipse. And I hear a, a, a person to my right say to one of their persons in their group, is it the, is it the uh, sun that's in front of the moon or is it the moon that's in front of the sun? I think, it's, I think it's the moon that's in front of the sun. And they were very serious, as genuine as could be. And the thoughts just ran through my mind. I had to look up the mileage. I had to look up the mileage. The moon is a lifeless clump of dirt that's about 240,000 miles from our planet. The sun is a perpetual 10,000 degree nuclear explosion, 92 million miles away. If the sun were as close as the moon, I don't think I have to explain. Don't you think that's silly? I've made way dumber mistakes in my, in my life. This is how far we are from understanding our own lives when we think our lives orbit around our plans. We couldn't be more far off. It's ludicrous. I think our lives rotate around us. This might be one of the reasons anxiety disorder diagnosis has risen from like 8% to 28% in two years in America. Disorder diagnosis. We can't cope with being out of control. Pretty much every counseling and discipleship session will touch this fundamental truth in some way. This dilemma, whose plans are going to be accomplished in your life and your marriage? Is this about you? Is this about God? Is God doing something for His glory and the glory of Christ? This is about you and your plans and your desires. Here's the message to everyone here today. Repent. Repent. Repent and say in your heart, God's plans, not my plans. I will make plans for work and, and college and I'll pursue careers and I'm going to work out and try to, to be healthy, but... But I'm looking to be a part of God's plans in Christ. I'll be discipled. I will make disciples. I will be hospitable and I will pray. I will be faithfully married or faithfully single. And I will follow God's commands, trusting His providence will use me for His glory. That's my great plan. That whatever my plans might be, it might come alongside and be tethered into accomplishing God's plan. So whatever happens, whether it's a shipwreck, whether it's the leading of the spirit, a dream, or a vision, or just being born into a certain city rather than a different city. Consider it all. 
a means of God's providential orchestration to accomplish His plan to achieve His own glory. I'll tell you one thing for sure. You do this, you will find yourself being much less frustrated so often. Because you'll be eager to know how my turn of events bring about God's plan that I didn't even know, I did not even foresee. Learn. Learn, learn, learn. God is providentially seeing to his plan. It's what he's doing in the world. He's not, you know, we're going to be confused why God's not supporting your plan. Look to see that God is fulfilling his plan in you. Number two, learn this. The providence of God is centered on salvation in Jesus Christ. I haven't even explained it yet, though. Learn this. God's providence is centered on salvation in Jesus Christ. God is not working out your life for the sake of your plans or your life. God already has a wonderful plan for your life, and it is the glory to His name through Jesus Christ. That is God's plan. That is the plan. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. This has come to my mind so many times this year. And it is convicting how much I know about it and how much work in my own heart it still has to do. But see how Christ is the center of God's plans. God doesn't just have like an ambiguous plan. His plan isn't just kind of changing from era to era. He's not making up his mind as, as, as you go. He's not figuring out his budget every day. He has a plan from beginning to end of time. And it centers on Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood. In Christ we have redemption through His blood. When Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, there is redemption. There is forgiveness of our trespasses, our sin, He says. The way that you can be forgiven for your sins is not by being a much better person trying really hard, never messing up. The way that you can be forgiven is that Jesus' blood, his life was shed on the cross for you. And this, Paul says, verse 1-7, was according to the riches of his grace. He gave us his riches, his grace poured out. He lavished it upon us. When Jesus died on the cross, it was all the riches that God had to give us. His lavishness. And it was all his wisdom and it was his insight that did that. God is so wise, so insightful as to send Christ on the cross for me and for you. And there in verse 9, look what it says. That is making known to us the mystery of his will. What is God doing? He's making it known to us and that everything God's been doing, oh, it all makes sense now. It all comes down to Christ on the cross for sinners which according to his purpose. What is he doing? What is his whole purpose in creating an existence and working in the world? The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. His purpose is in Christ. It's not a thing that the Lord God in heaven is not doing that is not in Christ and by Christ and through Christ and for Christ. All things, whether heavens or thrones or dominions or rulers, things that are invisible, things that are visible, things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, everything is by, through, and for Christ. That's Colossians chapter 1. Look what it says in Ephesians 1.10. All this, Christ on the cross, His grace lavished, His wisdom, His insight, the mystery of His will, His purpose, it's all, verse 10, a plan. It's the plan for the fullness of time. His plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. What is the one thing, one person, that unites everything together in existence? Christ. 
The one thing everything has in common is the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. Everything God does is by, through, and for Jesus Christ. All time. All places. All things. Tethered to Christ in existence. Listen, if you're not a Christian, just know today, this is the great message of the Bible to you. That at the center of everything God is doing from the beginning of time to history to today and in the future, that everything is centered around looking backwards and forwards in the worship as we read in Revelation. It's all focused on God glorying Himself through Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. That's the whole message of the Bible. It's all pointing to that thing. And the Bible is actually telling us that the planets and the stars and history are all pointing toward that thing. At the center of God's providence for you, not just moments worked out where you, you meet your spouse and you get into a school and just a life filled with serendipitous meetings, but that God in all of time put Christ on the cross for you and that's your place, that's your relationship to God and His plan in the world. At the center of God's plan is the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of the sins of all mankind. That's what He's doing in the world. That is His glory. That is His joy. That is His plan. Church, what is God doing right now? What's God's big plan? Providentially seeing the news of Christ spread from Antioch to Philippi to Thessalonica and to Rome and to Austin and to Round Rock and to Saudi Arabia and to Laos, all nations. And once we become Christians, we are now agents in God's providence to those ends. Unlike Hamas, which wants to end all Christianity by murderous jihad and call for a global day of rage last Friday against Jews all over the world, Christ is different. He died for His enemies. He died for His enemies. On the cross, He said, Father, forgive them, those who are murdering Him. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He died to pay the ransom so the people from all nations could be the redeemed people of God. Just know that what God is doing in the world is centered on Christ. Don't think that God is not able to work even in the horrors of Hamas to bring about the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't think that what Israel or yourself are experiencing today are unprecedented. Israel has seen their babies drowned and slain and burned many times before. It was not outside God's providence in Egypt or Rome or Germany. And it's not now. Our suffering is not outside God's providence just like it wasn't outside God's providence when His own Son was hung on a cross. The nails were providence. The Romans were providence. The crown was providence. The spear was providence. All these things were God's will. The grave was providence. God seeing to salvation in and through Jesus Christ. I was reminded this week of a story about Mossab Hassan Youssef. His father was a co-founder of Hamas. And he spent many years, his father did, in an Israeli prison because of his treachery. Mossab, however, his son, was recruited by Israel intelligence and became a spy for Israel into Hamas. And his cover was that Hamas thought he was spying on Israel for them. The cover for both was that he was a student at the University of Jerusalem. One day, walking into the old city of Jerusalem, there was a Christian standing there. A Christian stopped him and invited him to a Bible study nearby a couple of days away. In order to keep his cover as a university student who is looking to learn new things and be a student of education and, and be an international uh, person, he went to the Bible study. Later, upon hearing of Jesus Christ, he came. The son of Hamas is the title of his book. The son of the founder of Hamas became a Christian and was baptized. And all we hear about in the news is terrorism. But Hamas, its leaders, and its children are not outside of God's saving providence.
providence is centered on Jesus Christ. Learn this. God's plans are centered on His Son, Jesus Christ. On salvation in Christ, not our comfort. Paul went to prison, but his jailer was converted. There was a riot, but leading Greek women became Christians in Ephesus. He was just there by happenstance, talking to Christian, talking to people about Jesus in the market. Next thing you know, he's giving a speech at Harvard. And some of those philosophers heard about the resurrection. They believed. Friends, nothing can stop the providence of God. Nothing. Consider often what looks like failure as God's means of bringing people to become Christians. Whether you get a job or lose a job, consider God's purposes for Christ in that providence. That someone might come to know Christ if you get the notice that you are cancer-free or that your cancer has come back. Consider God's purposes for Christ in that providence. If you're single or married or rich or poor, what is God's plan for every circumstance? It's centered on Christ in all time, all places. Just think about how Paul met Priscilla and Aquila and how their friendship was ultimately about the purposes of Jesus Christ for decades. In Acts 18, 1 through 3, Paul left Athens. He goes to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, recently from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Luke felt we needed to hear that. How did Priscilla and Aquila get there? Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. Why did Paul get connected? He was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. How did Paul get connected with Priscilla and Aquila? Well, they had the same jaw, they were tent makers. But how did they both get there? Well, Paul was led through Troas, through jail, and got run out of a few towns. Priscilla and Aquila were spread, and they went out to Corinth because Claudius commanded all Jews have to leave Rome, so they had to go somewhere. And lo and behold, there's Priscilla and Aquila, and here's Paul. They meet in Corinth. They become ministry partners. They become Christians. They become partners for decades working together, supporting one another, helping friends get around, passing and spreading the gospel in new cities. They were so close to Paul. Some of Paul's very last thoughts in his very last letter, 2 Timothy, were to greet Priscilla and Aquila for me. Oh, learn that Christ is the center of God's providence. If you're finding yourself frustrated, wondering what God is doing in the world, learn this. God is providentially working to accomplish His plans centered on salvation in Christ among the nations. That is what God is doing. And that is what God intends in His providence in the church. Don't forget where the sun and where the moon are in orbit. Remember where you are and where Christ is in God's plan. Lastly, what can you do? God is going to accomplish His plan. His plan is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. So what is it that you can do? What is it that we do? We live lives led by the love of God in the gospel. Live led by the love of God in the gospel. You can no more discover the providence of God and all of his plans, and all of his wishes, and all of his meetings, then a fish can discover the water that he's swimming in. You should not consider this your job to discover every serendipitous moment in which God may align the sun and the moon so that you can talk to someone, but you can have confidence knowing that we live in a God-providenced world and realign our hearts to his purposes. It's our responsibility and joy to participate in the purposes of God being led primarily by love in our hearts. Paul did not plan to go to prison, but he was ready to tell the Macedonian jailer about Christ. He didn't plan for the riot. He didn't plan to go to Berea. He preached the gospel where he was. Listen, if God were to show us all the providence that he had planned just in our lives, much less in the world, we would be overwhelmed. I mean, ChatGPT couldn't calculate all the data. It's not a knowledge of a weight of knowledge that we can bear. 
ours is merely to grow in love and Christ-likeness and obedience. Many over the years have taken Queen Esther's circumstances as an example of living in providence, and rightly so. And Queen Esther's people, when they found out there was a plot against the people of the Jews, Queen Esther's people, Mordecai came to her, who had been made a queen in Persia, and said, perhaps you've become a queen in Persia for such a time as this, to help your people. The queen admitted this is probably true. She asked for the people around her, the Jews, and for her own women around her, to be given to fasting and prayer for three days. And she did not just glory in the providence. She did not just think, oh, what a, what a cute circumstance that I am here, and God has worked all these things together. She encouraged those with Mordecai and those with her to fast and pray, and she said, I'm going to go to the king, where if if it is his will, I'll just die. And she said, oh, I'm going to go to the king. And here's, here is how she responded to the providence God had given her. If I perish, I perish. If the king would take my life for going to request that the Jews might be saved, and if I die, I die. That has been God's providence for me. What am I to do? What's driving Esther? She's learned somehow to trust God in accomplishing his plan by providence. There's no command for her to go speak to this person or that person. She wasn't necessarily given a dream about going to talk to Ahasuerus. She looked at the opportunity. She looked at the providence. She looked at her people. What should I do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These things are sufficient for walking in God's providence. Do what loves the Lord. Do what loves your neighbor. What's the plan for your life? Why do you live in Austin, Texas? Why do you have the job that you have? Why do you have the education that you have? Why are you single? Why do you have a family? Students, you're going to school and you're studying, reading, math, and science. Why? What's the plan? What's the plan for your life? What's the plan for your parenting? Isn't the plan of God in Christ what God is providentially accomplishing in your life? And what can you do to walk in love? Turn around the gospel everywhere that you go. Love God, love others. Knowing God's providence should not teach us to look for serendipitous moments that come and pass, although God does this. God's will was limited, as if God's will were limited to special moments. And we've got special serendipitous moments out there, but the rest of the time, the rest of my life, that's mine. I'll go about my day as long as there's no divine appointment that I notice about evangelism, well, I just, I just assume my life is my own. Theology teaches us to see our entire lives as already in God's providence. We're already in God's providence. Love in our heart sees every place and every day as a providential opportunity that is already bound up in the purposes of Christ. We look at compassion at others as lost. We look at our neighbors as having no idea what the Bible says or who Jesus is. And we trust God has providentially placed us here to talk to them, to know them, to love them, to serve them. Let me encourage you, be wise. Go to school, plan, make plans about your career. Make family plans, financial plans, business plans. Honor God with all your plans, but know that God is sovereign and His plans are superseding your plans and they're purposed for salvation through Jesus Christ. That's how you came to know Christ. How did you come to know Christ? You met someone. You knew someone. You were born into a family. You bumped into someone. You read something. You found something. Praise God for His providence bringing you to know Christ. Here should be the disposition of our heart. What Paul said to the Corinthians, I'll come and see you again if the Lord wills. This lines up with James. I'll go to college if the Lord wills. If not, then I'll do what the Lord intends. I'll look for the Lord's providence for salvation through Christ. Focus on love where providence has you. John, Cal, and I are reading a book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer by Paul Tripp. He shares this account from his own pastoral ministry. I think it's encouraging to us. Paul Tripp says, Sam called me in a panic. It had been an ordinary day. Get up, go to work, and do his job until quitting time. 
But as he was rushing home, he was approached by a desperate man. The man said that his life was a mess. He didn't even know where he was going to sleep that night. Sam could tell that he wasn't a seasoned street person. Hoping to be a conduit of help, Sam took him home and he called his pastor, me. Paul, he said. I came across this guy who lost his job, had a terrible fight with his wife, and was thrown out onto the street. And I thought I'd bring him over to your house so you could give him the help that he needs. Is now okay? Before Sam could say anything else, I responded, Isn't God's love amazing? God cares about this man. And he put one of his children in his path. God cares about you and has given you an opportunity to be an instrument in his hands. I'm persuaded that God never gets a wrong address. And he intends to use you in this man's life. Let me pray for you right now that God will fill your heart with his love and your mind with his wisdom. When I finished praying, Sam said, but I don't think I'm able, and I interrupted, I will continue to pray for you tonight, and I will call you in the morning. I am so encouraged by your ministry to this man. And I said goodbye, and I hung up the phone. Friends, isn't this freeing? Isn't this encouraging? It's not our role to know all of God's calendar. We can never plan all of God's providences for us. But as we walk in love, as we let the gospel shape how we see people around us, we'll see every opportunity. We'll see everything as an opportunity. The Lord might use us to bring someone else to salvation in Christ, all for God's glory. He's accomplishing His plan, His plan, which is centered on the person of Christ. And He's using the love in our hearts and our minds to bring it to pass. Let's pray.